My name is Jason from the Misplay Podcast, and you're listening to Farming Eternal, the number one eternal podcast. Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaro, Ruben, or Barefoot Farmer, and Ben, also known as Ben Gracer, back on the data mining team. It's episode 29. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, no Ben, but we have a returning guest, Celtic Guardian. Thank you for coming back on. Thank you for having me. I had a great time last time, and I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, so this time we, we thought we were going to talk about uh, Synergy decks in set 6.5, and so we thought, Ben, definitely not useful but who could we turn to? And Celtic Guardian seems to enjoy Synergy decks a little bit more or finds herself in Synergy decks a little bit more than Ben or I do. So we thought you'd be the perfect guest for this episode. Yeah, I'm a, a big fan of Synergy decks. I like to see where the pieces can click together and make a really cool combination as opposed to just, I mean, yes, I start with good cards, but I don't, I tend to find pieces that complement those good cards instead of just going best card to pack, best card to pack, best card to pack. Right, and that is definitely a much different approach than what Ben has been sort of evangelizing these last few weeks. So this week, we're going to talk about how our draft weeks went, a couple announcements, our listener of the week, card of the week, seven win run breakdown, and then as I mentioned before, our main topic will be synergy decks, and then we're going to review a draft, a draft that uh, Celtic Guardian did this past week. So to begin with, uh, Celtic, how has your draft week been? I've been pretty busy in, with uh, real-life matters, so I didn't get a ton of time to draft. But what I did, I got a 7-2 with the pile of cards that I thought wouldn't make a great deck. Uh, I attribute most of those wins to Hunter's Harpoon because that's a stupid card. Um, and Outlaw Ringleader was the other MVP. Then I went 2-3 with a Katra Life Gain deck that was really sweet, except for the part where I ran to two combustion brawlers from different opponents. Yeah, that that can be tough. That was unfortunate. Um, I think the game hates me sometimes. It's like, oh, look at what you're doing. I'm going to put you against the worst possible opponent. No, I I agree that that I, 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 I sometimes feel the same way. Anytime I try to get fancy and not just draft the best cards in every pack, Eternal has a, another thing coming to me. <laughs> It was. Uh, I'm sure it would have worked out better if that had not been the case, but I also knew I was going in very deep with a ton of Razor Quills, so it would be awkward if I got stuck in a situation where I couldn't use them. I knew it was a gamble. Unfortunately, the Combustion Rollers made it not pay off. But um, I've been very much enjoying the DDD tournament, if you want to talk about that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we've been doing... Uh, we mentioned this the last couple episodes. We've been doing the double draft duels uh tournament on our discord which is there's been there's 15 players and we've been all picked our favorite deck from set six and we've been battling it out over this course of the last week and man two people actually have already done all 15 of their games i'm not quite there it's been a lot of fun there's been a lot of chatter in discord it's been actually the other thing i really liked about it is like friending everyone and then like now I feel like my friends list is full of people who I actually kind of like know or 
am more interested in observing their games and stuff and knowing when they're online as compared to like my previous friend list was just like a few people that had either friend requested me because I was playing a cool deck or I friend requested them because they were playing a cool deck, but then we never like spoke again. But now I feel like a connection with my friends list. No, I agree. That's I, uh, I've seen a lot of the names around, like, when I go into draft queues, I'm like, oh, that's a good player. I've played them before. Or, I think I recognize that name. And then after, like, fighting some of the people in the tournament, it's like, I'm just going to keep them on my friends list. That's fun. Um, I haven't gotten through all my games yet. I I might be around the halfway point, I think. Um, and I've got a pretty even win-lose record. So I've been happy with that because had some good games, lost a few good games, won a few good games. Uh the, the match against Ben was unfortunate because I drew, like, 12 power to his 4 or 5, I think. Maybe 6. Mm-hmm. But variants. So, as for my draft week, it's a little bit similar to yours, except I played even less draft. Um, but I did manage to get a bunch of our DDD uh, tournament games in, which has been a lot of fun. I actually, I think I have the best win-loss record right now which is exciting but also a lot of pressure so right now i'm i only have two losses this is always what happens with me is because i i like crumble under pressure so now i don't really really want to play the rest of my game i will of course but yeah no i'm in a i'm in like a little fun tournament for expedition with a in a discord that another discord that i'm in Mm -hmm. and I've done very well in that one, so I, I'm like, oh boy, I can't wait to lose in the semifinals. That'll be great. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but like like we kind of talked about, it's been a lot of fun. I think people yeah. are really excited, and I I don't think we're we're not ready to announce anything this week because the way it's it's runs is it's we we gave everyone two weeks everyone two weeks to finish their games. So I think next week we're going to announce another one. In the next couple weeks, we'll go to our announcements. Uh, first off, as always, I'd like to thank all our patrons for the show. Um, your support is much appreciated and really makes this show feel like it's worth doing and really helps motivate Ben and I to keep doing all the different projects that we have going on. So I want to thank uh, Marshall, Cass, Jed, Rav, Esrich, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Yistout, all for being patrons. Thank you very much. Thank you. So then the other thing that uh, came to my attention, and this kind of pains me to say, but the Misplay podcast has both interviewed a person from Direwolf Digital and had Matty Oker as a guest on their podcast, neither of which we have done yet on the Farming Eternal podcast. So I think we will eventually be able to get Matty Oker on the podcast. So that one's an easy one. But I think getting a direwolf digital employee on the podcast is going to be a little bit more difficult. <laughs> but one idea I had was to get the masses of Farming Eternal fans to send in-game feedback about how awesome it would be if a direwolf digital employee came and talked about draft. Because they've done a few interviews throughout the course of the game's history but mostly constructed focus. And I think it'd be really cool if we were able to get an interview with someone to talk about draft and sort of their their thought process and how they build sets and those kind of things. So I think if enough people, because I've sent um, 
a couple emails just like hinting about maybe it would be a good idea. But I think if some listeners also sent in some feedback, maybe we could uh, move the needle a little bit and kind of get a sweet scoop and not be behind the misplay podcast as they tick off all of these, uh, these milestones. Well, um, I will say that that would be really cool. It would, I know there's, I've run to a couple of the, uh, I've either seen them on stream or I've seen them in game. There are some very interesting decks that I've seen the direwolf digital employees play. Mm -hmm. Uh, they, they tend to take angles that either I wouldn't think of or I wouldn't dare try. Yes. And um, as for Matty Oker, cool dude. I actually, um, I actually uh, followed him recently, and when we were like talking through chat and video, that was a lot of fun. So I'd love to talk to him at some point on a podcast. Yeah, no, he's really great, and he did a great job on the Misplay podcast. I don't recommend you listen to it, but, <laughs> but he, but it was pretty good. And then um, for listener of the week, we don't have a specific listener of the week this week. But, and I don't want to take all the credit for this, but not only has Ben become funnier and more handsome since changing his stream title to Farm for Farming Eternal, which was our first stretch goal for the Patreon, but he's also managed to get a few subscribers that he'd like to thank this week, which is Parmalee, Skrike4213, srich0215, and Work Done Sun. And he also wants to mention that his emote is coming soon. Yay. So, so that's our Twitch listener of the week. <laughs> okay, so now we're we're done with lists and listing people for now. So let's go to our flagship segment, card of the week. Celtic, what is your card this week? I'm going to lead into a synergy that I want to talk about in, in detail later. But here's a bit of a an appetizer. <laughs> um, scavenge. Now, this is a card that I think a lot of people overlook because on a base level, it doesn't seem very powerful. Um, remember back in the day when it was a two-cost card that made two rats and mm -hmm. fixed? That was all it did. Now it's a three-cost card that makes three rats. And you might think, okay. And then you realize that in this set, uh, it's a great card for the decks that um, partner with it. It gives fixing, I just mentioned that, but keep in mind that Fire and Justice are really good uh, factions for tokens, which is what the rats are going for. So that fixing is often relevant. For example, sometimes I pick Be Gone because it's a good time card, but I might not be in shadow at all, and I might be like, okay, this is not helping me with fixing. Mm -hmm. And I might not be in Combray. I'm almost always happy to have Scavenge with a Fire or Justice influence. That's almost always going to be relevant to me. The Sacrifice Fodder is very important for certain cards. Uh, the ones that I think of mostly are Thorn Beast, which I've seen all over the place. Uh, Combust, which is one of the only unconditional remove spell, removal spells, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. um, Sanguine Sword, which I think it's underrated. It's a 4-4 four -four weapon for 4 is really nice. You just have to have the tools for it. And Devour, which I wouldn't pick unless I had a, a large selection of units I didn't mind sacrificing, but having that ability to draw cards is kind of rare. Uh, there's also Consuming Flames, which I don't see many people play, probably because Streets of Flame is in the format, and that's usually better. Um, but sometimes you just can't get Streets of Flame, and you need you need that removal. Uh, and other than that, there's Sadistic Ritualist, who the few times I've seen him, he's gone off, so there's something. Um, producing three cards for, for three units for one card is very good. Mm -hmm. I don't think 
I don't think you really understand how important that is until you see it in action. It's a value engine, and you need the bodies for attacking, getting boost for group effects, which I'll talk more about later. They can't block, and a lot of people forget that. So if you ever think you're about to lose, then try holding back some rats and see if they fall for it. <laughs> it, it works sometimes. But um, no, really, um, they aren't going to help defensively, but token decks usually aren't thinking about being defensive. Mm -hmm. That's not their game plan. Um, they're also really nice for Onslaught, because it's like, oh, I need an effect. Let's attack with one rat. Oh no, the rat died. <laughs> um, but Manufacture is a card is the only other card that I can think of that really competes with that in the style of deck. Manufacture, I think, is a bit weaker because you get the units in hand. That slowdown to play those units from your hand can be very costly. The warp is a big upside, so I'm not saying it's strictly be better or worse, but I am saying that I like scavenge more myself, and that unless you are in time and have humbug swarm, that's about what you're going to get. <laughs> right. Yeah, I I agree. I, I especially agree that manufacturer is not a great card. Um, I I don't know how much we want to discuss it here because I think we'll talk more about it in um, when we d talk about go wide uh, go wide synergy decks. But I do think that this format might be sort of well suited for scavenge because scavenge was always interesting in set five and five point five where I felt like it was really hard to pin down just how good it was. Because uh, some decks it overperformed, but some decks, you know, I, I don't know. It, I, I could never figure out whether I liked the card <laughs> in hmm. set five. Um, so I have a feeling I'm going to feel very similarly about it in set 6.5. I'll be honest, I didn't really play Scavenge that much in previous sets. It was... I had to be in a deck that I really wanted the tokens for, and mm -hmm. those were not as easy to come by, I feel. Mm -hmm. um, also, it's very confusing to talk about tokens when there's actual fixing tokens. So forgive me, but when I talk about tokens in this episode, it's mostly going to be units created from cards. That's just the term I'm used to. So uh, Ben's card of the week is Diving Teriax, which is the 2-4 flyer for 6 primal, and it does 2 damage with Onslaught. And... He says it's been good for him because, as uh, our listeners know, he's been going five-color almost every single draft. And, <sighs> and in his, recently, he, he feels like he's been less able to get sort of the big top-end cards like Behemoths and even Tremor Shockers. And so he's been having to rely on Diving Teriaks to sort of close out games. And it's currently at half background rate, which means that it's not showing up very often. It's showing up half as much as you would expect a sort of a random common to show up in deck lists that we received. But he thinks it's overperforming that rating for him. And he wouldn't be surprised that in say, like uh, less dedicated um, decks like a, a five color decks like he's drafting that it's probably better than it looks because those decks just need ways to close out the game once they clog up the board and as a two four flyer that can also you know ping a unit for two damage or ping face for two damage it does a pretty good job at that i will uh make a comment that i personally don't like diving terry x 
I tried it in one deck and it felt way too clunky. Just didn't work out for me very well. That being said, um, it is a flyer. Fly, the text flying should always be taken with a grain uh, with a grain of interest, if you want to call it that, because sometimes that is just enough to win a game in a board stall. So if you need a flyer desperately and that's all you got, then that's all you got. Yes, and I, you know, I think it is it is a clunky card card, which is I think why he's saying that he thinks in the five color decks it's a little better because those decks are sort of designed to just like stall, create a board stall. And then they just need a way to win the game. I will say that I am not as experienced with five color, uh, well, five faction um, decks as uh, a lot of the people that have been posting in the Discord. Um, I can I can draft them. I know how to do the fixing for that. I know what to look for. I don't care much for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I very much prefer two faction with maybe a splash into a third. I have run more and less than that. Um, I think two faction is still rather consistent. Um, I, I I don't know if I mentioned it, but the four faction nonsense pile I mentioned in the way back when podcasts we did, that went uh, six and three, so <laughs> it, could, it could happen. But I don't think that five faction is the end-all be-all, like some people are saying. Yes. I, I mean, I think that's one of the great things about this current format is they they really managed to thread the needle and just have so many supported decks and archetypes and sort of faction colors, way more than I think in set six even. You know, with all the fixing, they've now allowed these like three, four, and five faction decks to really thrive, but not the two faction decks or the like the more sort of consistent colored decks are still, I think, able to perform in this format. So there's just so many sort of possibilities. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, when a draft format has a lot of uh, conversation around it, when a lot of people are talking about, I like this, no, I like this, here's why, this is a good look to have at it, uh, and a good outlook to have at it, then that's a good draft format. You don't want something to be easily solved. Right. No, I agree. Yeah, and it was really interesting, you know, because LSV uh, streamed uh, last week, I guess. Yeah, I saw some of it. And he did a bunch of drafts. And it was really interesting because since I've been, I haven't been able to watch too many streams. And so I've mostly been hanging out on Discord. And as you said, there's (laughs) a core group of people on Discord that are really big fans of the four and five color decks. And um, so I've been seeing a lot of those kind of decks and watching LSV like kind of take a way more traditional, a way more traditional approach to drafting decks where he picked a color, picked a secondary color, and then more or less forced those two colors once he like decided that those were the open colors. And it was just like, and so he drafted, I think he did about three drafts and all of them were more. I think two colors without a splash mm-hmm. and it was just way different than what I've been experiencing both like sort of watching streams in discord and even my own f- few drafts that I've done where it just seems like, yeah, it was just a, a much different drafting style, but you know, it still is obviously working for people. I think that it's worth noting that even with a lot of fixing splashes aren't free. You're always right. going to have that random variance where suddenly you didn't draw the 
one and eight primal you had, and all of a sudden you're dead in the water, even though you had eight sources. Never say, I've got a free splash. Say, I've got a very good splash. I've got a very good chance, and this card is strong enough that I want to do it. Also worth noting is that with the background rate, I don't think I mentioned it with Scavenge. Scavenge has a one background rate. Probably underrated since this is a synergy card, according to Ben. Um, but such synergy cards that are really good, um, well, Patrick has one of those for the week. Yeah, my card of the week is Cabal Repeater. And two reasons I wanted to do this is one kind of fit with our theme of uh, synergy cards, because this is a great card with that go wide token um token strategy that we did. But the other reason is Ben and I a few episodes ago kind of talked about this card a bit and how it felt like it was an underperformer for us in set six. And one of the reasons was we were trying to sort of process its ability. You know, it's a two power three two you know, an Argentport soldier is at its baseline, not that, you know, it's a pretty good card. But we're trying to decide how good its effect was, because its effect reads really good, but it never seemed to perform as well as it read. And so this is, that's one part of why I wanted to bring it up. And the other is, in the last episode that Ben and I recorded, uh, which no one has heard yet because I haven't finished editing it, um, We've been going through sort of talking about card evaluation through the lens of the five different phases of the game that that Ben has created. Um, and the last one that we did last week was when you're winning. And Ben made what went made this point that this is like the least important phase of the game. And like you really shouldn't give any credence to cards that are great when you're winning. But I, w- I was thinking about that more and I kind of tried to defend that it's like not you know I think people do overvalue like cards that are good when you're winning but I think there's one aspect that we didn't touch on when we're recording the episode is cards like Cabal Repeater and Avalanche Yeti which are great cards when you're winning but they're also good development cards too and so I was just kind of I was one of the things I was thinking about is maybe there are just like these good sort of when you're developing cards, like these two drops like Avalanche Yeti or Cabal Repeater that have an effect that can win a game. So you have these like cheap units that you can just play when you need them, but can also have a lot more relevance than a two drop should in the late game. And that I think is an important aspect of a card. And I think it's one of the reasons that maybe Cabal Repeater is could actually be better than we had given it credit for when we talked about it last time. We had talked about when it was you're in a board stall, its effect is not actually as good as you think it is. But I wonder if the fact that it's a two-drop that can just win a game out of nowhere does actually make it a good card. When I, uh, when I was uh, listening to... Uh... Sir Rhino and Neon Blonde's podcast quite some time ago. That was where I was first learning a lot of things that Magic had taught them. I yeah. have only played some Magic, so I'm not as familiar. Um, when they talked about the Quadrant Theory, they mentioned that some cards just kind of broke the mold and were still useful as finishers, even though in like Magic they wouldn't want them. In in the case of like 
Cloud of Ash, for instance, even super aggro decks when they're winning, that still helps because that can just clear for the final sweep before your opponent can recover. Right. Now, that all being said, I think that I still find them, I'm still leery about them. I'm, I always worry about the worst case scenario. What happens if I'm dying and this does nothing? It's one of the reasons I don't really like Death from Above most of the time. That's the primal um, common that gives uh, flying and berserk. Yes. I think I talked about that a bit during the uh, episode that I was in previously. I'm not as fond of it because it does absolutely nothing unless it wins you the game. <laughs> right. And that's actually, this is, you're, you're see, you're, you're like teeing it up for me right here. Because that's exactly what I was trying to get across in my long introduction, is like, we we had talked a lot about those kind of cards, like Cloud of Ash and Death Death from Above. These cards that that are only good when you're winning the game. And those are not very good cards. But there are cards like Avalanche Yeti or Cabal Repeater that both are pretty good when developing, but also have this sort of like game-winning spell sort of tagged on to them. There's a reason that um, one and two drops that are relevant in the late game are very, very important. You need to have those slots for the early game, otherwise you can get run over. But if you draw them later in the game, they're dead. It's one of the reasons that I'm kind of leery about taking too many strangers. Mm -hmm. Fixing is great. I love strangers. Don't get me wrong here. Strangers are awesome, and I'm glad they're here. If you draft only strangers, then you are going to be stuck in late game drawing tutus. Yes. Um, But yeah, Cabal Repeater is a fantastic card in this format. I wasn't as impressed with it in the previous one. I kind of had a similar trip over it where I was like, this feels like it should be good, but it's not doing much for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was funny because when I played it, opponents would instantly remove it. And I would be like, why'd you do that? I have no other units. It's not doing anything. Right. So it was actually helpful as like a rattlesnake, if that makes any sense. Yes. Um, Lure out the gunshot and then the actual important things came in. Uh, But in this format, it feels really good. What did you say? uh, Ben said that the background is... 1.9 1.9 times uncommon? Yeah, so it shows up about twice as commonly as you would expect an uncommon to show up. So it's doing pretty well in this format so far. So yeah, so that's kind of just what I wanted to say. I kind of wanted to tie in last week's episode with sort of how you view cards through the sort of the quadrant of winning. And one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about this week is you don't want cards that are just good when you're winning, but these like cheap cards that can also have these game-ending effects, I think, should go up. And you should pay attention to good cards that can help you win games. I'll also mention that when you're looking at a card, don't think of just the best-case scenario. Yes. Don't think, my Cabell Repeater is always going to have a board of 12 rats, well, 11 (laughs) rats, I guess, and is going to run over my opponent with deadly and uh, boosts. Think... Mm -hmm. Maybe I have only one other unit, but I really want to get it through. And this will make it very awkward for my opponent to trade. Right. Um, so so think about the low case situation. Think, is that still good enough? And in Cabell Repeater's case, yes, I think it is. Okay, so now moving on to seven win run breakdown. Uh, first, a reminder what this is. Uh, we collect everyone's seven win run decks. So if you get seven wins, um, you can... Export the deck list and send that over to farmingeternal at gmail.com. Or if you sign up for Discord, you can post it in there. Uh, we have a channel for that. And then we we collect all of these deck lists. We 
put them in a spreadsheet. We have two spreadsheets, one that does a faction by faction breakdown to tell you like what factions are doing well. And then it also lists all the decks. And then another one that sort of does a card by card breakdown, which is where we get these above background numbers that we've been talking about. So this week we got 51 lists submitted from 26 different listeners. And so we're at almost 130 lists. The new submitters this week are Leo the Pluridon, Marshall, and MLNTN. And our veteran submitters are Ben Gracier, Klebovich, Celtic Seven Guardian, Darth Herman II, Dubes, Gemini, Gibbon Plus Plus, Jedi EJ, John Holio, Jose Carlos 2121, Cassandra, Mancio 1982, Ninja Can, Another Out on a Limb, Raven Dragon, Rofer, Sidetracker, Spiro, Esrich0215, Telemokos, Tempest Dragon King, and Yistow. So thank you all for submitting a deck list. We really appreciate it. And it just like helps us have stuff to talk about on the podcast. It, uh, you know, allows people to, you know, there are a lot of listeners who use these to sort of help them inform about what cards are performing well or underperforming. So thank you all for taking the time out of your drafting schedule to send in those lists. So just quickly, uh, I just wanted to point, uh, mention a few things that have jumped out now that we have over 100 lists. One is that the average number of colors per deck in all our lists were about 3.3 colors per deck. So we're averaging more than three-color decks. And that is with <laughs> Ben Ben wanted to mention he's at 4.77 colors per deck while I'm at three. And he said, he actually said, despite what you were saying earlier, that of your decks, you're averaging 3.5 colors so far. So we've had uh, 15 five-faction lists of our 130 lists. And then and then also about half the decks with splashes are splashing primal, which is the number one splash card by a long shot. You know, it's kind of strange that it's a, you say that there's only 15 five-faction lists out of 130 when I've seen so many people swear by it. That seems lower than I would have expected just based on the amount of uh, praise that I've had seen heaped on five-color. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we I think part of the reason is we use, I we sort of use five-color as shorthand for four and five-color because that gets a little clunky to say. But also... Okay. Like I mentioned, we get deck lists from, you know, we got 26 people submitting deck lists. So if, you know, five or six of them are really into five colors, it would take a lot of people and even people who don't necessarily listen to the podcast to to all be drafting five colors to, I think, really up that rate a lot. So that's not, for me, I think 15, you know, over 10% is kind of, not a, that surprising of a number. That's fair enough. I just thought that just by looking at the numbers without more context, I was kind of raising an eyebrow. But I would say the fact that five color is 15, is over 10% LS, is qu- quite a bit. It's like, I think, way more. I think if you go to our Discord, it probably feels less than you would expect. But I think if you just think about the numbers, the fact that there's 10 two factions, there's 10 three factions, there's four, there's five four faction color combinations, and there's only a single five color combination of colors that can create a five color deck. 
you kind of think like if they were all sort of drafted equally, that would mean that that five color was like one twenty sixth of the possible right deck configurations, and yet it's about ten percent of our list so far. It's a right. it's a, actually kind of insane how much uh, Direwolf Digital has pushed the um, you can use as many factions as you like thing. Yes. Um, They've included things like Quinn. I got a Quinn out of a pack, and there's almost no renown. So I was going, what is this doing here? And then I went, oh, she's three factions. I guess that's the entire reason. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's yeah. Forsworn Stranger. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Which is a, a very good card in this format, I think. It's very good until it gets silenced by Archive Curator and dies immediately. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's the... The, the Quinn thing is... They added a few of these, like, renowned cards back into the format, and I think that's maybe one of the most unsupported synergies in the current format. Yeah, um, that one is odd to me. Um, I don't get it myself, but I there, I, there is one uh, synergy-based deck that I am going to mention later on that I think it's relevant in. Okay. Um, but for the most part, no, I, I don't think it needed renown. All right, so let's go on to our main topic. So this week, we are talking about Synergy decks in the new format. What's interesting is there are a few Synergy decks that were in set six that carried over. And so one of the things we'd like to talk about is sort of how that's changed with the new draft packs. But then also, Direwolf sort of seeded these new draft packs with a few new Synergy decks, too. So... Was there one that you'd like to start with, Celtic? I would like to very briefly mention Warp because we're not going to go into great detail about it. Warp decks, um, they they seem like they have a lot of synergy with stuff like Workshop Forge and Ancient Clock Tower. Keep in mind those are rares. Yes. And keep in mind that it's very, very hard to build a Warp deck. But also think about this. Warp is very good when you're just pulling a bunch of cards off the top really quickly. Um. So if you're trying to make, if you're seeing a lot of warp cards that are cheap, it might be worth going in hard on those just for the sake of saying I'm playing a bunch of cards at, in one churn off my deck. I I actually got to play like five cards in a churn, and I was not trying to specialize in warp at all. It was kind of it was kind of wild, uh, just that I happened to stumble into that. Were any um, of them Owlette? Nope. <laughs> I I am one of those people who says that fudging Owlette is acceptable if you need a flyer that's cheap. If you have to have one, I don't care much for it myself, and I'm a, I'm a I like primal, <laughs> um, but stuff like um, if you see binding team blink wolf, um, then there's cheap there's spells like blink and uh, death strike things like that are worth thinking about if you can chain them because even though like say a two one is not very good on its own, suddenly you warp in three two ones and your opponent's going well what do I do I've only got one blocker so. Don't look for the payoff cards so much for Warp as seeing the ones that just work together well naturally. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, if a card that's expensive, like Awakened Sentinel or Cannon Bearer especially, I love Cannon Bearer. Um, if you find one of those and you're like, that's expensive for a Warp, think of it more along the lines of Warp's a nice bonus. This is a good unit on its own. So that's the synergy for Warp. Yeah, Warp I, I never really viewed as a synergy deck per se, because there's that Temporal Adept and there's Cloud Snake Matriarch. And Cloud Snake Matriarch is a good card, but it's so expensive that I feel like it's really hard to get a ton of extra value from it. And if you do, it's a little bit win more. 
Yeah, Cloud State Matriarch is a very good card on its own because it's a 5-4 flyer for 6. Yes. That's, that's good. Um, and if you warp it off the top, you feel great. It, you feel like you just won the lottery because you got to draw a card, you got to play a card from the top of your deck, and if you get anything else after that, then you're just steamrolling your opponent, sure. Yeah, you would have probably won anyway. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like you don't have to build a warp deck for Classic Matriarch. It's just a bonus if you happen to have warp cards, and warp cards are good on their own. But I think it's still worth mentioning that just so that people can think about the fact that warp cards are really good with other warp cards when you can continuously play them, even if you don't have, like, Workshop Forge. Mm-hmm. All right, so the next Synergy deck, I think, is the Scout deck. Yes. And this is an interesting one to me because there are all the payoffs are still there. You know, there's the Clan Barracks, there's the Peak Top Trekker, uh... There's Murderous Flock is one of them. And there's also Needle Spitter, which on base is a really bad card. But if you're very deep into Scout, I've seen that thing go off. Uh, a 9-3 on like turn 3 or 4 is scary. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think this is a deck that came together and people liked a bunch in set 6. But I've been hearing a lot of people sort of say it's not been working as well for them recently. And then we kind of looked at the numbers a little bit, and it's sort of started to make sense. Because we went through the draft packs, and in set six, the draft packs had 21 scout cards. And that's now down to 14 scout cards in the new draft packs. But that's not taking into the account, actually, that the new draft packs are much bigger than the old draft packs. So those 14 are even further diluted. Yeah, those are two facts I did not know until I was talking uh, to you before the show. So this was uh, surprising and not surprising. Surprising in the sense I didn't know was the reason for why I was having trouble. Not surprising because I, was, I knew I was having trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I, I loved Scout. So I was, trying to, I was just trying to do my scouting thing and going, where are they? <laughs> Also worth noting that crests are still in the format, and since there are a lot of crests, you can find those more reliably than other rares. Um, mm -hmm. And oftentimes they'll get passed because they're not in the factions people are that interested in. Yeah. So they are still there. You can still use those for scouting. But um, there's also uh, Zuberi's Longbow as a payoff, if you want to call it that. But <laughs> other than that, most of the payoffs are in the our Dark Frontier. Right. Um, but also worth noting is scouting is just good as scouting. You don't have to have a deck to want scouting. Yes. No, I agree. It's a lot like warp where one of the nice things about scout is it's just, it's a good mechanic on its own. So you're just happy to play units or cards that have it. There is uh, arguments for if you do, if you are in a pack where the crest is the best thing you could take and you're only in one of those factions, it's still worth taking just because scout is that powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, now, it's, a, it's depleted. That's still a cost. But it's to give an idea of how powerful Scout is. Next, shall we talk about armor synergies? Armor synergies are fun. I wish I could do this more often. It just doesn't feel like it's open for me most of the time. Yeah, this is when we had Man and Mouse on way, way, way in the beginning of Set 6. This is what he considered his sort of the best synergy deck that he was able to consistently build were these armor synergy decks. Um, and that's because unlike a lot, uh, unlike sort of s 
Scout at least, where Scout has like Clan Barracks and Peak Talk Trekker as their payoffs. Those cards really need a critical mass of Scout to be very good. But I think the armor decks, on the other hand, sort of like Scout, just like gaining armor and gaining life is pretty good on its own. But also, I think it's a, a much softer synergy. There's no, there's no, there's fewer cards where there's like without Scout or without armor, it's horrible. And then with armor, it's great. It's they're much like, oh, having a little extra armor is just like a little extra bonus. It makes this card slightly better. For the most part, I agree. Um, I think that um, for the payoffs that you uh, that you've mentioned, um, I know that there's Horn Grinders, the one of the main ones I think of because a six cost three six, it's not terrible, but it's not exciting. Um, I really want to have armor to even consider putting that in my deck because otherwise I could just be playing something else that'd probably be better. But the payoff is so big when you get it. The other one that I would say is not worth playing on its own that you have to have a critical mass of armor for is Casol Blade Barrier. A uh, two-two for three is not cutting it unless you have armor. I agree. I guess what I I meant is not that not that you would ever play it with no armor, but it's like peak top trekker. If you don't draw your scout cards, it's a really hard to cast three drop. That's just a two-two. Mm-hmm. Two, two. Like coastal blade barrier, at least is an easy to cast three drop. That's just a two-two. It's less likely to get stuck in your hand while you mm-hmm. wait. <laughs> And so it can just sit there while you wait for your armor synergy as compared to like Peak Top Trekker, which I think is a harder to cast card. And you can get sort of stuck both ways where you can't cast it or you don't have the scout cards to buff it. One versus uh, two influence is a major thing. So I can agree with that. Um, I'm just saying that it's, if you don't have the armor, then all it is is a 2-2. And it can get blown out really easily if you only have a bit of armor. Because if your opponent suddenly casts a burn spell at your face and you lose your armor, oops, there goes your 5-5. Five five, it just dies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it proceed with caution. You need to have a lot of armor for Blade Barrier to be worth it. You need a lot of armor for Horn Grinder to actually be... But for the other ones that you listed, um, Pioneering Aviator is quite acceptable. Um it gives you a way to get armor, and flying is valuable. And a two-two for two, we've got plenty of those, but that's that's fine. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a two-two for two that you can get flying. And the other nice thing, and if you don't know about this, is like Pioneer Aviator is a way to gain armor at fast speed if you have a yes. fast spell. Absolutely, which can definitely lead to you know some blowouts if you time it well. Take that, Cloud Snake Hatchling. I just cast a spell. It's kind of like a miniature jump, jump kick. I agree. Yeah. Or if you have a Coastal Blade Barrier and someone attacks in and they don't, yep. you block with that, you play your fast speed, and all of a sudden your Coastal Blade Barrier is a 5 5 when they, your opponent thought it was just a 2 2. No, there are very clever synergies with Aviator. I've liked that card more as time has gone on. Valkyrie Bodyguard is the one that I noticed other than Horn Grinder from the new set. Valkyrie Bodyguard, I liked her when she first came out. I didn't have to have armor to like her. She's a 3-4 flyer that blocks. Um, with armor, she could attack even better. But she is good on her own. She doesn't have to have that armor. Yes. Yeah, if you just need to you know, hold off some <laughs> some flying attackers to stay alive for a bit, then she works very well in that, in that role. And... The other thing I wanted to mention is, unlike Scout, it seems like the armor synergy 
decks sort of got more cards to play with. In uh, one thing, we went from nine units in the curated packs to 14 that either give armor or give or have armor payoffs or play a relic weapon like New Order Watchwing, if you renown it. We actually have a, a bigger variety of units that deal with armor. And we also went way up in relic weapons, which give armor when you play them. So we went from nine to 15 relic weapons. Not only do they give armor, they care about armor. Duelist Blade has been very impressive for me. Um, I've really liked that card, and giving that extra armor is great. Um, I've always liked Arbalist. Um, Sword of Icarius in the packs now. There's a lot of Runic Revolver. That one surprised me. It's also worth mentioning that if you're in time, uh, time doesn't have weapons really, but um, there is one card that I think benefits from Relic Weapons, and that's Ancient Excavator, because it can bring them back. If you are either splashing time well it's a two cost time it's got two time as an influence requirement but you can still use it and get a lot of value out of it yeah that that doesn't stop them the other have you had a lot of experience with uh sort of akaria um i've liked it i think it's a good card yeah i see i'm a, I'm a little lukewarm on it i think i started really high on it and I was wondering if that was maybe some kind of constructed bias where it used to be a very good card in the game. It's not really played and constructed anymore. Nah, not but really. It's just like I just feel like trading off your trading off your three cost relic weapon with a stranger and then getting one war cry out of it is not very exciting. And I have not had a lot of situations where I was able to like really feel like I was able to get a couple hits off of it. Though maybe it's a card that goes way up if you do have these armor synergies. So like you were saying, you can boost your Relic Weapons armor and then can then can get a couple attacks in, get a couple war card boosts and really, really make it great. But I felt just as like, just in a normal deck, it has sort of un underperformed. I was not really trading up. A well, think of it this way. Um you like to play Streets of Flame, don't you? And that's a three cost, three damage. Um, now, that's obviously not a fair comparison in that Streets of Flame is fast. It can hit opponents. It can hit whatever you want. Um, there's a lot of different reasons that that is not on the same spectrum. But to me, um, a three cost, three damage thing is good. That is the base baseline I'm talking about. Warcry also benefits other relic weapons. If you're going heavy into this style of deck, then that's a good starting point because it makes your other ones have more armor. I like sort of Akaria for that sort of for that sort of boost that it gives. But I also understand what you're saying about the strangers. I would I would usually not play sort of Akaria into a stranger unless I really wanted to get through. Right. Or I really wanted the Warcry. Maybe I scouted and I see a really good unit on top. Maybe I want to boost my blade barrier because I don't want her to be a two two when I play her. So I'm not saying it's the best card, but I like it. Yeah, I think maybe I'm being now unfair to it, where I, I want it to be a great card, and I think it's just, like, a, a good card. Good cards are good. Yeah. Just because a card is not as good as another card doesn't mean it's st still good. All right, shall we go into Twist? Twist. Twist is a lot of fun. So would you consider Twist a synergy deck? I guess is the first question. I do. I don't think that it means that you have to. You can play twist cards without having the synergy, but they're so much more effective if you do. Mm -hmm. Like, if you, if I'm in a shadow deck and I see a Razor Quill, cool. I like Razor Quill. I'll take it. Um, if I'm in a deck with 
and I see Blood Nurse and I don't have any synergy for it, that thing's going in the garbage can. <laughs> right. But there are cards that, like, Blood Nurse is perfectly fine if you have a lot of twist synergy. Um, so, yes, I think the synergy part is important if you're running a mass of cards that are, just aren't good enough without it. Yeah, we have to mention the sort of the new Wombo combo of the format, which is Blood Nurse and Bear Arms. Yes, that is the combo where, yeah, for those who have not had the privilege of fighting or using it yourself, keep in mind that Bear Arms gets uh, gives a plus one, plus one for every unit that's played. Blood Nurse and Quicksilver Ooze, although this is hard to do with it, they both reduce units when you twist them. So you basically have an infinite chain, with unless the Bear Arms is gone or the unit's gone. Blood Nurse is easier because it's cheaper, and 1-1 one, one flyers are more valuable than 2-2s two, on the ground. Lifesteal flyers. If you can get that going and your opponent can't silence, stop, break the weapon, there's there's ways to counter it. But if you don't have those counters, then it's an inevitable conclusion. Does that mean that you should be taking blunders very highly? No. But if you have, like, several bear arms and you see a blood nurse and you can play her, yeah, try it. Again, this is a, this is a matter of ceiling versus floor. The ceiling is insane. The floor for blood nurse is pretty bad. Yes. Yeah, I think the twist... Talking about twist as a synergy deck is is tricky for me because I think, you know, there's no real what you would call payoffs in the twist decks. There are twist cards and there are sort of twist enablers that really help you mm. utilize the twist cards to the to their maximum. There are cards that um yeah, when you're talking about cards that have been added, Combray Healer is a huge one. I really like Combray Healer. But um also Bolster. I've played Bolster. I like Bolster. It's it might not seem like a lot, but having a bunch of twist units and giving them all plus two, it, it's effective. And yeah. And for those of you who, oh, sorry. For those of you who don't know, Bolster is a four-time time fast spell. You and your units get plus two health. And Combray Healer is the three Combray 2-2. Two, two. Summon you and a unit each get plus three health. Thank you. I forgot to mention that. Um, I'm so used to just knowing cards and not thinking that other people might not remember, like, what's that obscure card? Um, uh, um, but with uh, Bolster, I think that it's also, there's no refresh in this format. Um, so it kind of works as a quasi-refresh. An expensive one, but it can have more value. Yes. Yeah, I think the, fa the fact that it's a fast spell is pretty interesting. It's very important that it's fast. Yeah. This card would not be good if it wasn't fast. And then there's some of those sort of... There's a few weird synergy cards. The buff while it's on the board units are back. So like uh, First Frost Shaman, Master at Arms, uh, the Plover. Those are back. And especially First Frost Shaman, which gives you a lot of health. Sort of synergizes with uh, the twist cards a bit. But they sort of have the same problem as weapons do, where if you if your opponent kills your first frost shaman and you've over twisted your creature, you sort of get two for one. I have personally bounced several units that have been uh, linked, and you can't reform that link um, unless you were to return that other unit to your hand. And because they've been twisted too much, they can't be played or else they die immediately. That's a very easy way to kill Blurry Chasers if your opponent gets greedy. I say greedy in a light sense. They're still scouting. That's still good value. But you can at least make it so that the unit's off the board. There's no longer a threat. Just wanted to note that, well, first of all, Blade Whirler is the exception to the rule. He does not help with twist. 
Blade Whirler is a very good card. That's the one that gives plus three to attack. Uh, five cost shadow. Um, mm-hmm. Five two. But the others, First Frost Shaman, I always thought was a really mediocre card at best. I never really liked it. This is the first format where I feel like it's actually got a purpose. I saw that happen, and I it made me reevaluate the card, because I was kind of just using my old evaluation of it as not a great card from, uh, I guess, I forget if it was in set four or set five. That's a deadly trap to fall into, and I'm guilty of it as well. I definitely have previous biases of cards where I say, I didn't like this card, I'm probably not going to like it now. But the changing formats are so important to reevaluating cards. Cards that are absolute garbage suddenly become either good or at least passable. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think, you know, the final is sort of the big rare that helps synergies is Scarecrow. And this is a sort of interesting card because I feel like this is also a card that has constantly underperformed. But uh, And I've been surprised about that because it seems like such a powerful effect. It is a very powerful effect. I've had the pleasure of playing with Scarecrow. Um, I am a Nightmare fan. I love Nightmares. And that's what Scarecrow is. It's a five cost, uh, two shadow, I believe, uh, two five, that has the effect um, once per turn. At the beginning of your turn, you may swap a unit's attack and defense. So it's uh, basically it's scare in a reusable form with Mm -hmm. a good body. Did I say it was a 2-5? It's a 2-6. On a base level, a 2-6 is hard to get through. On a more meta level, it lets you reuse Twist infinitely because you can keep twisting your unit, swapping their attack and defense, retwisting it, and continuing the process. Right. It's very good. Like, it can make itself a 6-2. That's suddenly very scary if you can't stop it. Um, It can make your flyers better. It can make some of your berserk units better. There's always a classic blight smuggler becomes a 4-1 Berserk. <laughs> it pops Agassiz, and if you don't have a target you want to hit with it, usually there's a unit on board that has the same attack and defense. There's a lot of those. So you can kind of skip the turn by hitting a stranger or something. That's why it just seems like such a good card. And then, like I was saying, I, it just never... it We just didn't receive a lot of... I thought it was... When I first saw it, and early in the format, someone beat me really badly with like that sort of perfect scenario with first scarecrow where I couldn't remove it. And then it just, they just like went off with blood nurses and behemoths and razor quills. And I was just like helpless. And I, so I thought it was going to be one of the premier rares of the format. And we just didn't receive that many decks with it. I kind of wonder if um, it's been underrated because people don't always see that synergy. Mm-hmm. It's possible that he, I've seen it past. I personally value it highly. If um if it's like pack one, pick one, I'll definitely take it. If I'm in shadow, it's past me. I'll try and take it. Um, at its base level, it's good. It's a five cost two six. Yeah, that's a good block. Even if it's not doing shenanigans, it is at least good. Yeah, and I wonder if maybe now in the new format, since there's less removal and there's no suffocate. <laughs> if maybe it will improve a little bit in its rating. I see you've also listed a couple of cards that help out with Twist that were already known about but are still here. Keep in mind that Arcanum Elite is one of my favorite cards to snap up for Twist. It's just mm-hmm. a it's a cheap unit. It's a flyer. It gives plus two health. It gives you health. It's great. Um, 
aggressive earth sign, uh, furnish, and withering touch can all be used that way. Withering touch is a lot more difficult, but it could still do the trick. And then there's the classic scare, where you would rather just have scarecrow. <laughs> yes, I, I agree with that. There's also uh, Horn of Plenty and Snowfort, which... I don't like Snowport, to be honest. Even in a twist-heavy deck, it's hard to use Snowport effectively. Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't put Snowport in one of my decks. Horn of Plenty, though, is another one of those great support cards in that it's just a great card, and it can possibly help support these synergies you have in your deck. That's what you're looking for. Yep. But, like, this is, an, um, this is I think, one of our another one of those examples where I think just in, or in conclusion, I think twist is another example of be you're not building your whole deck around twist, but it's these sort of pockets of synergy where you have a few cards that really synergize well together. And so you can make the most use of those few cards, but you don't really need to warp your whole deck around it to make a great uh, yeah. quote unquote, twist deck. I can agree with that. There are a couple of spells, like I wouldn't use Bolster unless I had Twist units most likely, mm -hmm. but they're very effective if you have a mass amount. That's not quite as uh, key as some Synergy decks, but it's still worth mentioning that they are Synergies and you should pay attention to them. I think the final mechanic Synergy deck that we have from the old format is uh, the Shift mechanic. And so do you have uh, anything you'd like to say about sort of Shift and Synergy decks based around Shift? Absolutely. I actually found this interesting to think about because I was not, I wasn't really evaluating it until we were talking about synergies to begin with. And I'm like, shift is a synergy deck. And then I went, how exactly? <laughs> but I think that it's mostly because shift has two different strategies going for it that I didn't really think about. One is an aggressive direction where you play a bunch of cheap shift units and they crack through while your opponent can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's, um, the stalling situation where you have really big units um, and you get through with a couple of shifted units that are huge and just deal tons of damage. But in the meantime, you're in a board stall where your opponent cannot break through, ideally. Keep in mind which strategy you want when you do that, because if you slam everything that has shift, it becomes kind of a mess. You have to have a really big payoff like Kimmy, um, who I've seen in draft multiple times. She's very good. <laughs> Fire, Time, and Shadow are mostly what i think of with shift um primal has some very good ones but not quite as many and justice only has i want to say three justice is not what you're usually thinking about just gonna list off a couple of the strong slash good ones adolescent death draw after it got its boost is pretty nice you know archivort soldier at worst uh shift effect at best um adolescent death draw can bounce at an exhausted enemy unit Orc Lookout is the one Justice card with shift that I actually kind of care about. <laughs> Avalanche Yeti is one of my absolute favorites. That shift effect is just so big. Stunning two units um, for up to three turns, and then being able to buy it back with, like, phase out. Super good. There's also Camp Surveyor and Primal, which is a, a cheap one-cost scout card, and we've gone down in scout cards, so it's nice to have that option still. Mm-hmm. Combustion Brawler is a huge one, although I'll be real, I don't often shift Combustion Brawler. I usually just play it and kill my opponent with it. <laughs> but it has shift, it can synergize. Coverfire Marksman is a really big one. I especially like him because you can put him in onto other units that have shifted, so you've got unblockable double damage. So he benefits from being in shift decks and not in shift decks. Um, one of those cards that you want either way. 
Crooked Alley Guide's another good one, another scouter. Devotee of the Sands, that that gives you um, ramp, and it's very valuable that it can shift because your opponent can't kill it before you, you get the value off it. There's Displaced Erectodon, which is another one scout. Fallen Militia Man, who falls into the category of possibly being a very big unit that can hit through um, and is cheaper to shift and is protected while shifting. Mm-hmm. It's a very solid card. Keen Saddleback is another primal one that gives an ability. There's a couple of these that give uh, abilities like Coverfire Marksman. Keen Saddleback gives flying. So in a format that doesn't have like Cobalt Acolyte and Changey Stick, um, Keen Saddleback's really effective in giving things flying that shouldn't have flying. Lethary Dire Beast for Lifesteal, always valuable. Mining Team for Scout. Nimble Conscript is the main one I think of when talking about the aggressive shift strategy. Mm-hmm. That one I think a lot of people can relate to. You shift it on turn you shift it on turn one, later three, four cracks in. It keeps cracking in. Um Novice Entomancer is a really good one. Um that produces a a locust if you shift it for five. Uh Snowmass Yoten I've talked about at length. Stronghold Vandal, that um there's not much relic removal or relic attachment removal in this format. That's kind of all that's one of the only ones you got, so that's good. Stone Scar Outfitter is Fantastic, both shifted and not shifted. Harder to kill when shifted, and continuously gives a boost. And then there's Tremor Shocker, which falls into the big units hitting through strategy. Uh, Venomous Mount, which gives deadly, and War Wagon, but War Wagon is super hard to splash. Those are kind of the ones to look out for. There are other shift cards, but they're not usually as strong, I find. Mm-hmm. And the payoffs... Um, we, um, there's a couple that are listed that you might not think of as shift payoffs because they don't say anything about shift on them, but they still are. Angry Prophet benefits from having a lot of units on the field. That's the thing about shift. They still count as units on your field. They can't attack. They can't block. They're still there. So in aggressive cheap shift decks, Angry Prophet benefits from like the nimble conscripts you got waiting. Bear Arms is affected by units shifted. Bear Arms is also good in almost any deck, but let's let's not digress on that. <laughs> Lord Stigamolok cares about shifted units, and sometimes you can shift big units like Tremor Shocker and then instantly play that. Death Ripple does care about shift quite a bit, um, but it's also a good removal spell on its own. And Expedition Leader um, is one of the excellent payoffs, because even if you unshift one unit with Expedition Leader on the field, you draw two cards. Yes. Um, Expedition Leader, for those who are not aware, two-cost time unit, 1-1. One, one. When a shifted unit emerges on your side of the field, you draw two cards. Um, now that's really hard to do because there's a lot of ping effects still. The best way to play this card is to shift units, then wait till the very last moment to play him and then pray to everything that your opponent doesn't have a removal spell. Yes. Though I think we, we talked about this recently that I, cause I felt like it never did quite what I wanted it to do in the, in set six, but there's less removal now. And the fact that you know, if your opponent does use removal on it, they just wasted removal on your two power one one. This which, is true. Granted, you didn't draw two cards, which would have been even better, but I think that's not a bad place to be. Is <laughs> if your opponent is spending valuable removal on your one ones, you're doing pretty good. I agree. That's a very good point. And one that I was not thinking about. I do think that it got a lot better after its buff. I wasn't even looking at it before that. Mm-hmm. Um, other uh, benefits, uh, Friendly Wisp in the big unit decks, 
playing Tremor Shocker with Friendly Wisp is a quick way to draw two cards as well. I, I felt that one was worth mentioning because that's a new addition to this format. Heretic's Cannon is obviously insane no matter what, but I, I just love unshifting a unit and giving it a Heretic's Cannon and saying, answer this or die. Ruin's Guide is one that you have to be really heavy in shift for. That's one where you can't just storm in the deck and say, this is probably okay. No. <sighs> Yes, I think if you're thinking of it as a payoff, it is. I mean, I do. I guess two twos for two got worse with all the strangers. Agreed. Since it's it's like fighting for that slot a little bit more. But yeah. in my DDD tournament deck from set six, I have a few of these ruin guides, and the fact that every once in a while you just get this like extra bonus attack when you when you're you know going turn one nimble conscript turn two this guy and then on turn four being able to attack with a three four unblockable and a five six has felt not that bad i would imagine not it is a temporary effect so you need to have more shifts to keep boosting him otherwise he goes back to being a two two and right it's kind of sad about life no i agree that it i the first time i the first time I read it, and many times after that, I just assumed it was not temporary. But I do think that, kind of like you were talking about with Shift has two different decks, I would consider surprisingly good for aggressive Shift decks, where you don't really... Ma it doesn't really matter that he's boosted every turn. As long as you can get in a couple good hits, that might be all you actually need to get, you know, to kill your opponent dead. Very fair. I do think it is in the category of excellent payoff instead of possible. Other than that, there's Tantrum. And Tantrum got better with its buff as well. Surprise. There's also um, synergies that are really good with uh, certain units that can shift. I, I really like putting um, Venomous Mount onto an Overwhelm unit, for instance. Uh, for those who don't know, Deadly and Overwhelm means that your opponent only stops one damage per unit. So that's why Champion of Chaos, for instance, is completely insane. Right. Um, then you've got stuff like you can you can boost the unit multiple times. Put the left eye uh, Dire Beast on it, then put the Cover Fire Marksman on it. You've got a double damage lifesteal all of a sudden. So those synergies are not as apparent most of the time, but they feel really good when you can get them. As for possible payoffs, I'll give a shout out to Muckcrawler just because it has the word shift on it. <laughs> But it's not good, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't I don't see it. I don't see it either. It, it wants to be aggressive, but I guess the idea is to let it be aggressive while your other units are shifted, and when they come unshifted, then you don't need the crawler anymore. But I, I've never seen it work out well. Phase Out can be really good if it rebuys shift abilities like Avalanche Yeti. It can also be used as quasi-removal, so it's not at its worst if you can't do that. Potion of Alicrity is one of those weird cards that I don't think it's really good even in a shift deck, but sometimes you need that acceleration. Potion of Alicrity is a one-cost time card that makes shifted units on your side, I believe it's only your side, emerge one turn sooner. Yes. I've never been in a situation where I've really wanted it, but at the same time, I could see where you might. Uh, it does have warp, so there you go. That's, a, that's at least one thing in its favor. And it's not a bad market card, so if you're in a market, then sure. Other possibilities are Remembrance, which has the same benefit as Phase Out, can reactivate shift abilities and just be strong on its own in uh, decks that have lots of one to three drops. That's the one cost shadow that brings back a three dropper lower mm -hmm. and shifts it. 
Kind of like a very mild dark return. It does play it directly on the field, though. Submerged Titan synergizes with shifted units fairly well, but I don't think it's a very good shift unit on its own, if that makes any sense whatsoever. And then there's Trickster Mage. Trickster Mage can be fairly good with shift. Um, she reduces shift costs by one and reduce, it reduces uh, warp costs. Mm-hmm. Um, so she actually fits into the warp deck as well. Uh, Trickster Mage is not really worth it if you don't have a critical mass of either, though. Uh, two three for three is okay, but um, there's other two threes for for, three, for two that I'd rather have. Other than that, um, onslaught likes shift um, because you are getting an attack in that they, in theory, can't stop. So those are the main shift uh, things I would look out for and try to think about which deck you want to run and what shift cards go well with it, which synergy is based on. You don't want the friendly wisp in the really quick aggressive one, for instance. Mm-hmm. And you probably don't care as much about the runes guide in the in the big ones. I'm going to mention one other um, synergy-based list that I've noticed. Um, there is a big one. I want to talk about tokens, but um, we'll cover that next time. But for now, I'm going to list off uh, Spells Matters real quick, because there are Spells Matters cards. This type of deck is nice, because most of the time, if you don't get the really good payoffs, you're not dead in the water. Um, the spells you should be taking are useful ideally without the cards that care about spells but when it all comes together it's pretty strong combray mm-hmm. in general is pretty good for this and keep cheap warp spells in mind for these decks because i would usually not want to play anything like heist sudden stampede touch of grace but if you're talking about a critical mass of cards that care about spells they suddenly seem okay I have seen people play um, Bren's Scrying and Vicious Rumors just to power up their Spells Matter cards, and it's worked. Um, I am not ashamed to say that I've been beaten by some really sick draws in that uh, regard. Mm -hmm. This is a rare synergy list, but it's one that I think is worth noting because it can be crazy when it goes off. Um, Now, one thing that made me kind of take a step back, there's only one card that makes a spell, and that's Lord Herbalist. (laughs) I thought there would be more than that. There's not. And that's painful. (laughs) Um, But Lorne Durbalist is a very good card. So even if you're not trying to get the spells matter, she's worth it. Um, Excellent payoffs are Kasul Battle Mage, who gets a plus one, plus one every time you cast a spell in the same turn. Right. Unseen Ghost Blade, because... um, that gets a powerful uh, Denemeral token that is stronger with more spells in the void. Watchful Aminera, another really good card that just benefits from spells because they allow you to scout. And, of course, the big one, Wormstone. <laughs> right. If you're in Wormstone, you're suddenly looking for Seek Powers instead of Banners. You're suddenly looking for um, those blinks that you obviously that you were like, ah, I don't need that. <laughs> you suddenly want the Begons you've passed up before. Wormstone is absolutely worth picking spells for mm-hmm. so would you i think would you consider inner might an excellent payoff i put it under possible payoff because of the double justice yes if it was single justice i would put it under excellent double it needs enough to make it work mm-hmm. um i do think it's i i've played inner might before when i've been low on combat tricks it's not terrible um even without spells in the void it's just a expensive sharpened reflexes okay <laughs> Um, well, in the sense of that single combat, obviously reflexes has a lot more use, yes. but, um, I would put that under possible payoff. Um, 
also another excellent payoff. This is the last one I'm going to um, say is really excellent in commons and uncommons. Tundra Explorer, because she draws spells off the top. It's It can be really nice when you have a warp spell, you see it's there, but you don't want to pay for it. Just attack with her, get the spell immediately. Mm-hmm. Same with Scouting. Scouting is really cool Tundra Explorer. There's also Alessi, and I don't recommend picking her, because she's if you don't have a critical mass of spells, she's not very good. But I'll mention her because she is in the format. <laughs> yeah. What about Sveta's Sanctum? Oh, I didn't even think of Sanctum, to be honest. Uh, I have seen a couple of people go in deep on that, and sometimes it works, sometimes not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think since it's really hard to play the expensive spells, it's um, not quite as great. Right. That being said, it sometimes you just get the nut draw and it goes off. But yeah, I can't believe I forgot about that. I guess I put it out of my mind after the abysmal times I had with Huru control lists. <laughs> now, possible payoffs really quickly. Uh, Initiation Bell, and everybody has mentioned. Kasul Curator, but I think it's still mediocre. I would not prioritize it. Unless you need a blocker. Kasul Curator is the 4-cost four 4-4 four, four that can't attack without spells. Mm-hmm. It blocks. I wouldn't say it's worth really looking for. Uh, Pioneering Aviator, I put that under possible payoff because it's still good even without spells. Like, you don't have to have that get armor from a spell effect. You can get armor from other sources. Spell Strike Sorceress, that one's risky. You've got to have a lot of spells for her. Um, Temporal Adept uh, is another good one. And <sighs> Spire's Spell Sword cares about spells. It's not very good. <laughs> you know, I know um, Sunnyvale... People joke about Sunnyvale really liking Spile, Spire Spellsword, but I just I just don't see it. I've tried it in a couple of spell-heavy decks. It did its job. It got me some life. It died. It was acceptable, but it's not something I want to take a lot of spells just for. Mm-hmm. Um, also worth noting that under uh, Primal, you've got Gale Prowler, which I think Gale Prowler is a very strong card in the right deck. Mm-hmm. Keyword, right deck. Icicle Marksman is a card that exists and cares about spells, and I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> Left for my Spellweaver um, is a nice card on its own, and it benefits from having spells to discard. It draws two cards when you discard a spell for it. And then if you're feeling extremely spicy, Northwind Herald, that's in the format. <laughs> Which, spoilers, you don't have to be in Primal to play Northwind Herald if you cast two spells. <laughs> oh, really? Because it's free. Three cards do not care about influence. Mm-hmm. If it costs zero, that'd be a different story. Reread um, goes into the Spells Matter decks and gets back spells. And there's Shamanic Blast, which I think is a good card in the right deck again. Redamage is good, but you have to get that cost lowered. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shamanic Blast is the six cost, two primal um, spell that reads deal three damage to an enemy. This card's cost is reduced by one for every spell in your void or something along those lines. Yes. And one last note, Renown likes spells, because oftentimes you can target them. Um, and there are some Renown cards that are worth mentioning. Uh, I'm not going to mention them right here, because it's not really important to this t- archetype of deck. But it's still worth knowing that if you are looking at Renown things, you might want to try and pick spells more highly. Or if you find yourself in a spell-heavy deck, you know, picking Renown, picking Renown yes. units. You could say, oh, that has an activation t- trigger through Intermite. Cool. Yes. It's especially funny when you have stuff like Bottoms Up with Amplify, because for those who don't know, um, if you amplify a spell, then its final cost is whatever you amplified it to. 
So if you were to play, like, this isn't in the draft, but let's say Flexible Familiar, and you use bottoms up to get to a seven cost, it would turn to a seven cost unit instead of a one cost. Just as a very brief example, I can't remember most of the renowned cards in this format right now. Another example in the format is New Order Watchwing. So if you were to amplify a bottoms up or a mighty strikes on it with the increased cost, so for example, if you did a, if you amplified bottoms up three times, so it's now a seven cost spell. So with New Order Watchwing, you'd get a seven seven relic weapon. Yes. So worth noting that. And I think that covers most of it. Again, this is a really hard deck to pull off in my experience, but keep an eye out because if you get a bulk of like spell strike sorceresses at the very end, maybe you've got enough to get there. Mm -hmm. Do you have a sense of how many spells you want to be running? With things like Wormstone, where I value them very highly, I would go with even as low as like five if I had other ways to produce spells like Herbalist. Mm -hmm. Um, and if I had a lot of scout to get to those spells, if it was something like uh, Kasul Battle Mage, that's perfectly fine on its own. I spells are bonuses, right? Um, a three three with an I guess cool for three. Uh, double justice, so you can't really splash it. But but then you got stuff like Spell Strike Sorceress. I would want at least like ten to twelve spells to even consider it. Mm -hmm. How about Temporal Adapt? That's a hard one. I I've almost never run Adapt. Um, almost every time I've drafted him, I haven't had enough spells to make me want to use him. That's a very tricky card, and I feel like it just doesn't work out well enough most of the time. Mm -hmm. I'd rather take spells that have warp already than take Adept and make them have warp. I think his cost is just too steep for the effect. I think so, too, but at the same time, I understand it has to be that um, cost. Right. Because if it was cheaper, it would be broken. So let's move on to the draft. Um, so this is a draft that you did, right? Sure is. I um, I was uh, I was very delighted when you asked if I wanted to do the draft because I've never, you know, took screenshots of every pick and shown them. Um, so I went into a draft and thought, okay, I really hope this has some interesting picks, or I'm going to be disappointed to submit it. Yeah, these are interesting picks. <laughs> All right, so let's begin. So pack one, pick one. Uh, cards in contention. Uh, first off, your rare is the legendary Ross the Walking Glacier, which is the five primal, 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 seven, seven with overwhelm warp and in tomb play Rost shifted. So the never ending Ross the Walking Glacier. Then uh, the other cards in contention there's a Crooked Alley Guide. There's a Stronghold Vandal, which is the 2-fire 3-1, shift 3, kill an enemy attachment, and maybe an Omnivorous Vorlunk. So what did you take? I took Rost. Um, now, let me clarify something. I would have taken Rost no matter what, because I only have two in my collection, now I have three. I needed one. And Ben actually mentioned that he would totally rare draft it himself. <laughs> this is not a pack that has a lot of strong cards, so yes. it's, it's not like we're passing up a lot anyway. Um, if I was playing safe, I would have probably taken Alley Guide or Vandal. Those are the two that stood up to me. Yeah, I agree. I think Alley Guide is sort of the safe pick as a strong card. Uh, and this does dovetail nicely. Uh, Klubovich sort of updated his draft guide for set 6.5 recently. And one of the things he talked about was your likelihood of casting these um, five influence legendary cards from set 6. And the point is, it's a lot harder to cast than you think it is. So 
even if you have, say, like 15 sources of Primal, you're still very unlikely to cast Rost on turn five. So just keep that in mind when you're picking these cards and trying to shove them in your deck. This is not a, I'm a three-color deck, but primary Primal. If that's the kind of deck you have, you just... Well, it's not that you can't put it in the deck. Just don't be expecting to play it on turn five. I would say that with Ross in particular, you don't have to have him on turn five. Right. He is a very strong unit. I'm, I have actually put him into this deck. We'll talk about the actual list later, but I do not recommend people try it unless they're desperate for a bomb um, because there are better bombs that you can get for cheaper. But because I am a greedy little punk and I want to see how he works because you only get a legend once in a blue moon, right? Mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to get another chance to play with Rost, so I want to play with Rost. <laughs> yes. No, and I think there's there's definitely some merit to that. All right, so pack one, pick two. Uh, cards in contention. There's a peak top trekker to go with your Rost, as well as outside of Primal, there's the Shield Crafter, which is the five justice, two six. Onslaught, you gain six armor. There's an... Stone Scar Outfitter, a Mining Team, a Razor Quill, and a Retribution. And so what card did you take to follow up your Rost? I'm sure this will shock everyone who heard the Primal podcast. I took Peacock Trekker. <laughs> Again, this is this is somebody who wants to play Rost. I would have sacrificed it if there was absolutely no Primal open. But with that in mind, uh, it was even better for me to take Trekker. If I were to recommend something from this pack to somebody else, it would probably be either Retribution or Shield Crafter, just because I think that those are very solid justice cards. <laughs> so you're saying if Rost wasn't in your pool, you'd probably end up on Shield Crafter or Retribution? Heck no, I would have taken Trekker. <laughs> okay, you'd still would have taken Trekker. After listening to this episode and realizing there's very few scout cards... I probably would have just because I would like to see for myself how it feels after the fact. I will say that it's it's harder. Losing that amount of cards for scouting is hard, but there's also scout still in Dark Frontier. Yes. There's still a lot of ways to get scout, I, and he's so strong. All right, so pack one, pick three, cards in contention. There's a Horn of Plenty. There is an Eviscerate, a Twin Sigh, and a Torrid Test Pilot. I took the Horn of Plenty. Um, that card is very good, even in a splash. I didn't know if I was in time yet, but Horn of Plenty is really good. I found Eviscerate to be too slow and clunky. I've, I'm sure I've mentioned that before. Yes. Um, Toride Test Pilot is good. I would have considered that, especially if I took Retribution or Shield Crafter. But um, I went with the Horn. Looks like Ben would have agreed with me. Yep, Ben would have picked the Horn too, I think. And it's interesting. I think, you know, Toride Test Pilot definitely performed better in the last format, but... People are taking horns higher and higher, and so, you know, this is another example of you and Ben sort of taking a horn. And I think, for example, like Ben now has horn above Corrupted Behemoth, sort of pack one, pick one. I I personally don't agree with that. Right. That's, that's, I really like Behemoth as just knowing that I have a nice stable five ready to go. Mm -hmm. Um, Horn is very good. So I'm not saying don't take it. I'm just saying I think Behemoth's a bit better. Yeah. Though I think people would have had, like, would debate which is better, Behemoth or Torrid Test Pilot. And you definitely have, this kind of shows you that you have Horn above Torrid Test Pilot. Do in this case, in this specific situation, uh, in other situations, I might want the pilot more. This is still very early into the draft. And I think Horn's a safer, like, blanket pick. All right. So pack one, pick four, cards in contention. 
There is an Expedition Leader that we've talked about. There's a Quicksilver Ooze. In Primal, there is Hold Under, which is the five Primal Primal Warp deal damage to an enemy unit equal to the highest attack among your units. So those are sort of the cards in your current colors. And nothing else is really very good. So what card did you take here? Uh, I slammed Ooze. Yeah. Um, I like Quicksilver Ooze, and it's nice with Horn Plenty. I will say that, like, I was... I, Ross has Shift, uh, technically, but I wasn't going to try that with Expedition Leader. Infinite Shifts. You could draw your whole deck. I could, and then I could lose from decking out. <laughs> yeah! And got there. No, I think that Ooze was the easy pick here. I didn't know if I would have a lot of big units for Hold Under. That's the reason I stuck with Ooze. Mm-hmm. I think Hold Under is quite good in the right deck, especially Legion. But yeah, there was... This was kind of a weak pack overall. So pack one, pick five, uh, cards in contention. There is not much. There's a shiny hold under this time. There's a corrupted behemoth and a blurry chaser. Let me guess, the corrupted behemoth. Yes, oh my gosh, you knew. (laughs) Um, Behemoth is the easy choice here. Uh, Blurry chaser is very good, but um, I'm not in fire at all. Not yet, anyway. Hold under is shiny, and I would have liked to have taken it, but I'm not going to prioritize a shiny common over behemoth <laughs> or shiny uncommon it has to be a shiny rare for me to take it over behemoth <laughs> yeah um in all seriousness um behemoth is just an easy pick here it's, it's not a very interesting pack because it's a good pack for me but it's not very interesting overall then pack one pick six sort of a similar story uh cards in contention in time there's a displaced arachnidon and a corrupted behemoth and there is no primal card uh, there's the only other card that's even worth mentioning. Well, I guess there's a Bandit's Flail and Oni Patrol, but those are just not even remotely worth splashing in if I'm going to stay with the Legion. So I took the Behemoth because that is good upside. Yeah. Um, ben said, where can I find these pick six Behemoth drafts? <laughs> I I did consider the Erectodon just because I didn't have any really low, cheap units yet, but I figured, ah, eh, they're strangers. I'll get some eventually. Yeah, it is interesting to note... <laughs> There's quite a lot of armor. You could have had quite the armor deck. I could have. And it is it is funny to think that. But um, because of Rost, I really wanted to be in Primal. Yeah. Um, I Just for the sake of getting to play with him. Um, if somebody else that was not me was doing this, I would have said, yeah, you could have had a sick armor deck. Maybe the person that follows me will do that. Yeah, I know. Because uh, we didn't mention it, but in the last two packs, there were a Coastal Blade Barrier. And in the... Last pack, there was also the Silver Short Sword, which gives armor. And then in this next pack, uh, Cards in Contention. Uh, in Primal, there's a Murderous Flock. In Time, there's a Phase Out. In Justice, there's a, a third Coastal Blade Barrier. There's a Torrid Test Pilot. And then in Fire, there's a Streets of Flame. Also, we're known there was the Shield Crafter earlier on. So, yeah, sick armor deck. Uh, somebody go draft it now. For me, now, I think that in retrospect ben was correct here um ben said that he thinks that uh streets was um the pick to make i went with flock because i was hoping to get a lot of scout synergy with trekker mm-hmm. and streets does scout it does it also does damage but i wasn't in fire yet and i wasn't sure i wanted to make that uh i wasn't sure i wanted to dilute it yet i felt that flock was going to be a card that i would definitely play at, th- at this point in time. Um, I think that Ben was correct. In retrospect, the streets was probably better, even if it was making me splash for it. 
Yeah. I do think, though, that taking the streets is sort of tipping your hat to say you, you're trying to play Trekker and you're not trying to play Rost. That's true. But also Streets of Flame is just a good card. It doesn't have to be there for Scout Synergy. Right. No, I agree. But I'm just saying is like you're probably not going, like we said earlier, three-color Rost. So no. Take- Taking the Streets of Flame, like you could still imagine a world where you're playing Peak Top Trekker, Behemoth, and Streets of Flame, but it's a much harder world to think you're playing Streets of Flame, Behemoth, and Rost. Uh, Picks 8 through 12 were in order. Cobalt Coin, Mining Team, Bren Scrying, Winnow, Cobalt Coin number 2. The coins and the Mining Team were pretty nice. Yes. Yep, so going uh, into pack two, we have uh, seven units across the three colors. Uh, Primal, you still have your Rost, your Peak Top Trekker, which are your double influence cards. You got the Mining Team in Fire, and then you have uh, two Corrupted Behemoths and a Quixel Ruse in Time. You have your Horn of Plenty. You don't really have, I would say, any spells to talk about, and your removal sort of consists of your two Cobalt Coins. Yep, that's it so far. All right, so then you're going to pack two, pick one, uh, cards in contention. There is the Crested Runt, which is the one-time, one-one rare, which has charge and amplify five, play a six-five dinosaur. There is uh, Trickster's Cloak, which is the three-felm, two-two weapon that gives uh, the creature unblockable for the turn. There's an Everax Familiar, there's a Conflagrate, a Trailmaker, and a Lethry Intimidator. So a pretty good pack. Yes. I like this pack. Um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a couple of cards that I would not pick to save my life, but there's a few that, there's a few that I would have debated between if I had had more uh, options open. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like, I would not mind first picking an Intimidator in the right deck, just to clarify. Yes. Um, now, Crested Runt, it's a good card. I have played Crested Runt. I've liked it. But I have two behemoths, so I don't feel like I need it. Conflagrate is um, a good spell, but I had a goal in mind that I was going to make it work, so I took Trailmaker. Yeah, yeah, that would have been a tough one. I think you just take. I think I just take Trailmaker in your position because you're definitely time, and Trailmaker sort of helps you splash. But Conflagrate is just such a strong spell that it's sort of also very hard to pass up. Kind of, sort of, but since I really wanted to force the issue and Trailmaker could just make whatever influence I wanted, mm-hmm. uh, also helps with the ramp. I really like being able to get to Behemoth sooner. Yeah. So um, it, it's, a, it's a pack with a lot of strong cards, and I would understand a lot of people picking differently than me, but Trailmaker is my pick. All right, so pack two, uh, sorry, pack two, pick two, uh, cards in contention. There's a Shalook Captain, which is the six primal primal, five, five, flying... Your other primal units gain plus one, plus one. There is in time, there is an archive curator. And then in fire, there is a fire main lioness, which is the two fire, two, two, amplify two, play a one, one wildcat with charge. And then the other two primal cards, there's a Gerald's Frostkin, uh, which is the three, three that stuns a unit. And then there's a torrential downpour, which is the deal one damage to each enemy scout. So what did you take here? Shalook Captain. Without even thinking about it. <laughs> Am I not even thinking about it? I mean, I looked briefly at the rest of the pack and then clicked it immediately. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Shalou Captain is an insane card. Now, keep in mind, Frostkin and Curator are both pick twos I would happily take. Maybe even mm-hmm. pick once, depending on the pack. Captain is too much of a bomb. There's no way I was passing that up. Yes. And actually, this is a little surprising to me, so I'll mention it. Ben says that he would take Captain uh, over Curator, even though, as far as his draft, he would have no primal cards yet. But he thinks that Shalu Captain is such a bomb that even a double primal, he would probably take it first pick, especially because it's or it's pick two, so someone passed it. So the the chances of primal being open is quite high. Yes, I mean, I don't know what the person in front of me picked that made them think, oh, Shalu Captain's worse than this card. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably somebody who is very invested or just didn't like Primal. But either way, that probably means it's open. So I think it's a good signal. So now pack two, pick three, cards in contention. There is a Learned Herbalist um, and a Praxis Stranger, I think, are the two sort of cards in contention. And you took the Learned Herbalist here, right? I am very high on Herbalist. I really like her ability to heal with spells. I really like her producing a spell that lets you get a sigil out of your deck. I like that she has late game value, which strangers don't have most of the time. Strangers can still fix if you really need them later on, but I'd rather get a 2-2 that gets rid of a useless card in my hand. And if I found a Wormstone, I want her to be available to crack it. Mm-hmm. I value Wormstone highly, and sometimes it gets passed late, so... And uh, there's also Gale Prowler, and I like Gale Prowler, but not nearly as much as Herbalist. I will note that Ben had a very strong opinion to take the Stranger. He says, I'm going to read this out loud because I think it's actually a relevant point. It's getting to choose Primal with your 2-drop if you discard a card and spend 3 power. Better than getting both Fire and Time for free and not having to have time to get started. I get that point. I think it's a valid point. But I just like the late game value with Herbalist so that she's not a dead draw. Right. That's my main argument for Herbalist and possible Wormstone. But if somebody were to take Stranger, I would not say that they're wrong. Yeah, I I think this is probably the first pick that I, I really would disagree with you in that I would probably take the Stranger. I'm a little down on Herbalist, and I feel like Herbalist is also a card that I keep hearing people be down on. Uh, once again, they've mentioned Kalebovich. Uh, he came out with his new drafting with the stars article today, and he kind of also mentioned being a lot lower on herbalist in the new format. And it's just like with so much fixing, having learned herbalist just feels like a really slow version of a stranger. That's and fair, but um, also I will say that when I usually use herbalist, it's in decks that are slow to begin with. Right. Um, this deck is not looking to win really quickly, um, so I just. I don't like the floor case scenario strangers when I can have an herbalist instead, but that's me. Um, and I, I get what people are saying that you don't need that fixing quite as much. I just like her. Um, yeah. I think she's performed well for me and for my personal experiences, that's good. Um, but it's kind of like Ben saying, Hey, I like uh, diving Terry acts. It's like, you do that. <laughs> if it works for you, sure. Great. And I, I think this is one of those things where picking cards like learned herbalist is working for you. And I, I think, you, you know, there is no really one right way. I think right. it's much more important to draft a good deck than to than a single card. No, um, absolutely. Um, that's Again, draft would be very boring if there was always a right answer. So going into pack two, pick four, cards in contention. There is a ramp, um, 
in time. Uh, there is an archive curator. And then the only fire card is a research assistant. There is no straight primal card. There is a Skycrag banner, which would help fix us. And there is the Rampart Arbalest, which is a pretty good justice card. Uh, Rampart Arbalest is very good. If I was in justice, I would absolutely take it, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, I considered banner, but I wasn't sure if I was splashing fire. I didn't. I, I like mining team, but I wouldn't splash just for mining team. Unless yeah. I really needed the scout. So I took the curator. Curator is one of my favorite commons. Yes. I think it's one of the best commons in the draft packs. And like you said, I think Skycrag Banner maybe goes up a little a tick if you had that Streets of Flame. But mm-hmm. since you don't have the Streets of Flame in your pool, you just have the mining team. It's probably not worth put, getting the Skycrag Banner here over such a premium common. Not at this point in time. This next pick, this is probably the one that was the most uh, uh, disagreed with. <laughs> yes. So pack two, pick five, uh, cards in contention. In Primal, there is a first Frost Shaman that we talked about earlier. There's an Entangling Vines, which is the two Primal Warps done two enemy units. In Time, there is a Maddening Whisper, which is the four time time put an enemy unit into its owner's hand, amplify two, put an additional enemy unit into its owner's hand. There's a Praxis Stranger and a Mighty Strikes. Let me uh, analyze the good cards here because there's actually quite a few. Mighty Strikes, great card. I wasn't sure if I wanted to be in fire yet. Mm-hmm. It might have been worth taking it just because it's that strong, but I didn't want to take that step yet. Um, then there was um, Stranger, which was... If I wanted to fix for fire, I could have that. But I'm not going to take that over these really premium commons that are here. Mm-hmm. Or, and uncommons. Uh, because, well, there's barrel through, but I can't play that. Maddening Whisper is probably... This was the call that I was closest on. I really thought about taking Maddening Whisper. Because that card, I think that could, it gets passed up a lot. And somebody once said to me uh, in the Discord, they said... Is Maddening Whisper still a bomb or not? I keep getting it passed to me. And I'm like, well, I was getting last pick Flash Freeze's last format, so who knows? But um, Maddening Whisper is a... This is both a endgame spell and a spell that can stabilize you. You can wipe out their entire board with enough power by just bouncing everything and then get a strike in and kill them. Mm-hmm. It's very, very strong. And I'm in time. So that might have been the correct pick, if you want to call it correct. I took Entangling Vines, and I took that because I have had huge success with Entangling Vines. A lot of it. It's not Flash Freeze level, because Flash Freeze is a fast spell, and Vines is not. Vines is a cheap card, though. It's a two-cost, one-primal warp, stun two enemy units. I found it to be better early on than Maddening Whisper as like a defensive tactic. I like stunning units when I am trying to set up for my big things. I didn't think Manning Whispers was quite as important for this deck because I had Shalute Captain and Rost, so those can punch through without needing to bounce things. And I like the flexibility of both being able to use Vines early, late, and by being able to warp it. That's me. That's me saying that I have uh, huge benefits from it. Ben disagrees completely, says it's the fourth, fourth best card there. <laughs> he thinks it should only be an aggro. I am not I do, I do not agree with Vines only being an aggro. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I have a lot of trouble with 
with vines. I think it it's like Flash Freeze was great, and I really liked that card. But for some reason, Entangling Vines, I think because it has warp, makes me think it's worse than it is. Because I feel like I would very rarely want to warp it because there's so much like random chance involved with that. I'm just not a fan of warp spells in general. But this is like one of those weird ones where if it didn't say warp, I think I would like the card better. Because I'd be like, oh, it's a slow, it's one cheaper and slow speed flash freeze, which is a good card. That's a funny thing psychologically, because yeah. it, it's, um, there is a very easy way that you do that. You don't warp it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and people might say, but I'm losing value. And it's like, but it's a good card without warp. So, so what? Yeah. <laughs> um, I have warped it plenty of times because I'm looking like for power, for instance. And I, it's a good card, but it's like, I've got to get power, get this out of my way. But there are times where I've just said, okay, let's draw it and keep it. And it'll be great. Entangling Vines, I just think is extremely useful. Um, but I respect people that would take Maddening Whispers. I respect people that would take Mighty Strikes. Those are both extremely good. Mm-hmm. And I understand that people wanted a stranger. So it's just a, one of the more in-contention picks. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this really shows your sort of preference in... in you, you I Anyone's preference in draft, sort of what you'd take. Because uh, Ben mentions, uh, you know, often um, sort of big contributor to the show, Raven Dragon. He, I'm sure he didn't ask her, but... He has a feeling that she would take Mighty Strikes here. So and I would totally understand. And Ben says he would take the Stranger, and I think I would lean towards Maddening Whisper. So <laughs> hey, there you go, all over the board. Yeah, um, exactly. I would have gone in order. I would have gone uh, Entangling Vines, Maddening Whispers, Mighty Strikes, Stranger. But that's what the fun of draft is, is looking at all those cards and saying, what is best? Why do I want this over this? All right, and then so pack two, pick six, cards of contention. There is uh, an Averex Familiar and a Begone are the two time cards. There are no Primal cards except for Amar and Camel. I don't think this is quite the Amar and Camel deck. But every deck is an Amar and Camel deck. (laughs) And so uh, what did you take here? Familiar. Um, I considered be gone briefly, but it's not fixing for anything I need. And uh, familiar is a strong three cost warp, and yeah. it ramps. Pick seven didn't have much of, of interest, but I am going to say that I took court mage, and I want to mention I took it over a token. But I want to mention because I think court mage uh, has played a lot better than I thought he would when he first got released. Mm-hmm. Uh, a two five for four that can also pledge has just been useful. I've. Uh, I think he's a card that gets overlooked. Yeah, I agree. I think he got overlooked in sort of both for, in his the previous format he showed up in and this one. I mean, I think Pledge is really great, especially depending on how greedy your deck is. And while yours is not greedy in a multicolor sense, in uh, I want to play Rost kind of sense, uh, yes. Court Mage, I think, fits very well with that plan. So yeah, don't underestimate uh, Court Mage is all I'm saying. It's not like a premier common, but it's a good one. Picks 8 through 12 very quickly. Skycrag Banner, Trailblaze, Skycrag Banner, Gibbering Jackal, and Camel, because there's a third one. Okay, so we're going to skip ahead to Pack 3, Pick 6. And the main debate about this one is there's an Elysian Banner and a Elysian Stranger. And so for some context, I think right now... The fixing you have is the previous pack, you picked up a Bannerman. You still have the two Skycrag Banners. 
you're still very heavily Elysian. And right now, your two drops, you have one Bannerman, one Learned Herbalist, and a Trailmaker. This is pick six in pack three. So yes, what did you o- take here? Um, this is worth mentioning because it's a very it's very rare to have both the Banner and the Stranger of the same factions. So that's why mm-hmm. I wanted to bring this up. I took the Banner because I didn't want to overload on two twos for two, and I was worried I might do that. Sometimes you get so many it's awkward, and Banners aren't as questionable as tokens for depletion purposes. It's kind of like one of those classics of, uh, I'm most likely to play this Banner no matter what. The Stranger might not make the cut. I wanted the thing that was almost certainly going to make it. But mm-hmm. Ben said that he would like it the Stranger over the Banner. Um, it's way more likely Castos 3 if you have a Stranger than if you have a Banner. I don't really understand why he says that, though. Because they're both giving the same fixing. I think what he's why you're more likely to cast Rost with the Stranger is because, say, turn one, you pr- play your Primal Sigil. Turn two, you play a Primal sig- Sigil and a Stranger. You now have three Primal Influence on turn two as compared to if you had a banner there, you never sort of get ahead. That makes a lot of sense. Um, with that in mind, I would still take the banner, but uh, but that's because I don't need Ross to be out on turn five. But I understand now what he's getting at, and I think it's a good point. Yeah, I think I, I agree with Ben where I, w- I think I would take the stranger, mostly because I'm a little less sure that I'm going to hit the two drops I need. <clears throat> you know, Time does have the best sort of, I think, some of the best two drops in the Dark Frontier packs. So it's not like totally unreasonable, but, you know, I'm kind of shooting for about six two two drops in my deck. And since you're, we're already halfway through pack three and we only have uh, three two drops in our pool so far, I think I would lean towards Elysian Stranger and then hope to get, you know, just two more two drops in pack four, which is maybe an, uh, which is a number I'm more comfortable with than trying to get three two drops. That's fair. Um, final pack. I will say that I've had, uh, I'm kind of gun shy because I've gotten a lot of strangers passed to me. Mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of times where I've just had so many that it's like, wow, well, I could pick something else over this. It's it's certainly relevant. I, I don't think there's a wrong choice there, just a preference. Yeah, we'll skip to pack four. You got a few more good spells in pack three. You got a Dispel. Uh, you took a Praxis Stranger and another Skycrag Banner. So right now you have three Skycrag Banners. Four, actually. There's oh. a, there was a one in pick seven as oh, well. Okay. You so have we... four Skycrag Banners. You have a Praxis Stranger a Trailmaker, a Learned Herbalist, and a Bannerman all as sort of fixing capabilities. I uh, also have a Crest of Fury that I happened to pick up because I was thinking of Scouting and the Fire Influence. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a lot of fire fixing if I want it. And I did find a Hunter's Harpoon, so that is absolutely going in there. That is a very close to free splash. We say this to build up for cards in contention, there is an Eclipse Dragon, which is the 5 Fire Fire 4-4 four, four, Flying Charge Quick Draw. At the start of the enemy turn, you gain plus 3 power. Then there is also a Cloud Snake Matriarch, which is the 6 Primal Primal 5-4. With Flying and Warp, when you warp a card, including Cloud Snake Matriarch, draw a card. Um, there's also Tantrum, Spiteful Strike, Nimble Conscript, Mute are the sort of second tier cards. 
So I think the big question is then, do you take Eclipse Dragon or do you take Cloud Snake Matriarch? And so what did you take? I thought a long time about this, and I think a lot of people say, well, Eclipse Dragon's stronger, you take that. It's not that easy. Double Fire is still a lot even with all this fixing. Mm-hmm. Do, and it, that's a card that really does like to come down early. That's a card that I want to cast on five. I don't have to cast Ross on five, but I do want to cast Eclipse Dragon on five if I can. Mm-hmm. And it kind of goes against this. I was kind of taking a slower, more deliberate uh, deck. Not a rush your opponent down and kill them with a charge unit. Right. But I thought it was... I took it over Cloud Ma- Snake Matriarch. I didn't think I needed her quite as much. I, I thought that she wasn't as... With the strength level between the two of them skewed, I think the Eclipse Dragon was just the better pick. Mm-hmm. And you already do have a six Primal Primal flying unit already with the Shalute Captain. You have your two Corrupted Behemoths, so you do have a pretty good top end already. I was very nervous about how much top end I was getting, because I was like, I want to play all this top end, but ah, am I going to get there? Um, we'll see. But um, Ben was talking about it, and uh, he thought that it was not a slam dunk at all, so he liked that we were thinking about this. He thought that... Um, since I'd listed all this uh, fixing, he said, with all that, then you might want to play one or f- two Fire Sigils, and that'd probably be it. Uh, spoilers for the deck. I am playing a Fire Sigil because of Learned Herbalist. So just to close up, with what Ben is saying with um, with the Eclipse Dragon is he thinks, even though you do have so much fixing, it's still a splash card. Even with that many sources, you're, you're going to have trouble playing it early, and it's going to force you to play a sigil, which is going to make it much harder to play Rost on time. That fire sigil is scary. Um, yes. That is a dead draw a lot of the time. That is a draw that I either want when I have Hunter's Harpoon, I want with Eclipse Dragon, or I want it with Herbalist. That's mm. it. If it comes at any other time, it's not good. Yeah, so why don't we use this opportunity to just give a brief overview of the deck? So the game plan of the list is there's a lot of top end that I want to get to. There, um, in the end, I wound up with three Corrupted Behemoths, an Eclipse Dragon, Rost, Shalute Captain, uh, two Horn of Plenties, and a Heretic's Cannon for really big things. Yeah. It's, it's stupid. I don't usually play that much top end. But at the same time, uh, you were talking about how you like to have uh, like six two drops, I believe you said? I have uh, four, and I'm actually comfortable with four to six. So mm-hmm. I don't mind that too much. What I do mind is that I'm... I'm kind of thinking of the worst case scenario. What if I don't hit five? I really need to hit five. Trailmaker helps. Uh, Lord Herbalist helps. Then there's uh, some cards like uh, Dispel Draws or some Warp cards. And I'm going to, for, I don't usually play 18 power. I'm playing 18 power. Maybe I should even do 19, but I, I can't take that step. I don't want to. Now, after talking with uh, you and Ben about some of the picks that we made, I think I might switch in the mining team over something else because I think there's enough fixing for a one-cost fire. And I have a granite coin in this picture um, of the list. I'm probably going to take that out because even though it's a strong card, it's it's another fire source that doesn't go well with yes. most of my cards. I will say I do think the Elysian, the Elysian Stranger would help a lot. It would. Um, I think it would. I like the banner myself. I'm still happy with the banner, mm-hmm. but I understand where you're go- coming from. It's also kind of a question of like, do I cut one of these really good top end cards? Do I cut the Heretic's Cannon just because I've got so many good units, for instance? Right. 
Maybe. I haven't decided yet. I have not played this deck yet. It's one of the decks that I've thought the most about. A lot of times, I go in with my instincts, and either it works out or you run to Combustion Rollers with Katra. <laughs> yeah. Um, this one um, is one of the very few that I've actually taken days to think about. And that's something I'd like to recommend to people who are drafting. If you have a deck you're not certain about, walk away for a while, come back to it with fresh eyes. Maybe you'll say, oh, gee, I should have been playing that mind team. What am I thinking? Or just like contractually obligated to say this, uh, post it into the Discord, into yes. decklist discussion, and I think you'll get a lot of thoughtful responses. Absolutely. Uh, I've had a lot of fun talking with people when they're saying like, oh, gee, here's my decklist. What do you think? Or what, are the, what pick would you take here? There's three separate channels now for draft picks, by the way. <laughs> One last thing I'll comment on about this deck. Uh, Peak Top Trekker only has two scout sources without the mining team and is about to have three. Mm -hmm. um, so there you go. I did. I was so used to having scouting fall into my lap. It sucked that I didn't get it this time. I'm still going to play him because I still think that that upside is worth it, but also because he is very scary to opponents. I have a lot of opponents who, if they can remove him, they immediately remove him. So even though he didn't quite end up as I hoped, I think he's still worth it. That'll lead us into the end of our show here. So first off, thank you, Celtic, for coming on again. We really appreciated it. Um, I really appreciate it, too. It's it's so much fun to talk uh, for hours on end with things that I love. Um, yeah. And uh, to get so many interesting opinions from you and from everyone else. That's our show for this week. Uh, once again, thank you to all our patrons for making this show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can join us in our Discord. There'll be a link in the show notes uh, posted along with the episode. And finally, thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts. She's been posting um, the episode updates on Reddit for us. And don't forget to send in all your 7-win deck lists to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Bye. Bye.